0: Well, the message I prepared today is called The Lineage of a Savior. If you were with us last night, we talked about the lineage of a king. And uh, how Matthew talks about uh, Joseph's background being from the tribe of David. And we have another uh, lineage, a genealogy in Luke. So we'll be bouncing out of Luke chapter 3 a lot today. I won't remain in one text. This is much more of a topical. But we'll be looking in Luke chapter 3 Uh, If you want to turn your Bibles there. If you haven't noticed, there's a whole lot of to-do going on. It is Christmas time around the nation, around the world. You know, although a number of dictators have tried to eliminate Christmas over the last hundred years, they have pretty much all expired. Yet the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ lives on and on and on. You know, have you ever thought, why is that? Why is there such a to-do about Christmas? What is it that gives everyone so much hope about Jesus Christ? Because supposedly, we're in an age of hopelessness. People are hopeless. So many saying they don't have hope. The reason is that those folks are looking for their hope in the wrong place. Hope doesn't come through prosperity or wealth, riches, fame or fortune of any kind. Hope doesn't come in romantic love. Though you see that all the time in the media. It's not in romance. Certainly you're not going to find hope in any mere mortal man. All those things just become idols to us. Folks, the only true hope for humanity, our situation, the sinful condition that we're in, arrives with the Christmas story and the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. An angel told Joseph, Mary's husband, In Matthew one twenty, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Amen? That is good news. And hope arrives in the virgin birth of God's perfect, sinless Son, Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, and became God in human flesh, being born of that virgin. That's referred to, we talked about last night, the incarnation of God. The incarnation, the virgin birth, and hope for humanity lies exclusively in Jesus Christ. His substitutionary death for our sins, His subsequent resurrection from the grave. And last night we learned from Matthew chapter 1 about Jesus' genealogy, that he had the lineage, the genealogy of a king. It could be traced back through King David, back to Abraham. Human, uh, Christ's earthly human lineage was granted through his legal father Joseph. If he had been merely a man in the right age, in the right time, and he would have had that uh, aspiration... Christ had the right to sit on the throne of Israel. But that is not the reason Jesus came. It's not why he came. Exploiting his royal ancestry just for the purpose of ascending to a throne was not his purpose. It wasn't even on Christ's radar, actually. While reviewing Matthew's genealogy, there had not even been a legitimate king in Israel since the time of King Jeconiah. If you don't recall, Jeconiah, also referred to in some scriptures as just Kaniah. He was the son of King Josiah. And when Josiah died, Jeconiah became the last Davidic king to sit on the throne because of Judah's disobedience, their sin, and their subsequent deportation to Babylon. God assured at that time through the prophet Jeremiah... That the monarchy would be dissolved so that no Davidic king would ever sit on the throne in Israel, in in Jerusalem again. In Jeremiah 22, verse 30, we read concerning Jeconiah Thus says the Lord, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. That monarchy of David would never again be filled. In, that, uh, in Israel. So God had already sovereignly decided that by the time of Israel's deportation to Babylon that no Davidic king would again sit on the throne there in Judah. Jesus certainly knew that. He knew Jeremiah's prophecy and the Gospels confirm that Christ expressed no aspirations to this Davidic throne. None whatsoever. No, although his genealogy assures he was of kingly descent, it is his genealogy in Luke chapter 3 that confirms Christ's purpose. There we find not a lineage of a king, but the lineage of a savior. Reviewing Luke 3, we quickly discover there are a number of differences between the lineage contained here and the one that we find in Matthew. No reason to be concerned. It doesn't mean they contradict one another at all. There are actually several important reasons for those differences between these two lineages Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 3. First, the genealogy in Matthew begins with Abraham. It continues down through, uh, uh, through King David, then emphasizes the deportation, as we, see, as we see with Jeconiah, and culminates at the arrival of the king, the Messiah. Matthew 1, verse 17, documents the importance of these events. It says, so, Matthew writes, all of the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the arrival of the Messiah, another 14 generations. Those are the big events that Matthew was focusing on. And by comparison, the genealogy in Luke begins with Christ. At his baptism by John, right at the beginning of his earthly ministry. And then it progresses backwards all the way to the Garden of Eden. All the way back. Luke's lineage focuses not on Christ's royal descent, it focuses on his divine purpose to save his people from their sins. It's a lineage of a Savior. And it's been widely accepted as we look at uh, Luke his lineage going backwards, that this is the lineage of his mother Mary. That's probably the reason that we read in in Luke 3, verse 23, uh, it says, when he began his ministry, that meaning Jesus, it says, he himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. That's why commentators anticipate that we're actually documenting here Mary's lineage. Because it was as supposed, the son of Joseph. Because it was supposed. He was his legal father on earth. Yet we all know that he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the list goes on. Uh, He was the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Methad, and on and on and on. Again, through the Davidic throne. And then culminates in verse 38, at Adam. We read in Luke chapter 3. So both Joseph and Mary were of Davidic ancestry. If you go back far enough, of course, they were both of Adamic ancestry too, right? Just like the rest of us. We all go back to Adam and Eve. Christ, through his mother, was a physical descendant of Adam and Eve. Through his mother's side. He was fully man. Jesus Christ was fully man. And through being conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus was also the Son of God. He was fully divine. Fully divine. Fully man. Fully divine. That is the miracle of the incarnation. We have God and man together in one. That is made possible through the virgin birth. And and it's essential that Christ be born fully God in order to live the perfect sinless life that everyone here has failed at, including myself. In order to bear the sins of many, he had to be more than just a man. I can't die for your sins. I've got my own sins to deal with. Jesus had divinity. But he also had to be fully man. In order to achieve that victory over sin where each of us has failed, he had to legitimately overcome sin. Yet he was genuinely tempted. He was. Hebrews 4.15 says in reference to Christ, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Christ had no sin. Christ was victorious over temptation. He was victorious over sin. He was victorious over the grave. He was victorious over Satan. This is why Luke's genealogy of Christ traces him back to Adam, all the way back to Adam, to show us where it all began. You know, Adam was commanded in the garden not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God promised that the day you eat from it, you will surely die. You will surely die. And as the head of the human race, Adam disobeyed God, he sinned, he fell, in Romans 5.12 it tells us that we all inherit that sinful nature from Adam. Every single one of us has it. Do you feel it? Yeah. It says in Romans uh, 5.12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, that is Adam, and death through sin, that's what we inherit. And so death spreads to all men because all have sinned. Can we be confident that everybody has sinned? We can. We can because Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death and the statistics are irrefutable. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. Therefore, everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there are always consequences to sin. Always consequences to sin. We can't be in harmony with a holy and righteous God when we disobey Him and repeatedly disobey Him. The sin brings with it a curse. We read uh, Genesis 3 told us how it involves broken relationships, pain during childbirth, thorns and thistles, work was made hard. Just as God had promised, it brings forth death. Sin brings forth death. The curse of sin brought forth death. And for thousands of years, everybody has died. We're under a curse. Separated from God. Eternally separated from God. But then there was a, what we call a first advent, right? The first coming of Christ. That first Christmas. And there comes hope now for the sinful race. The angel told Joseph, Take Mary as your wife. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, Scripture says, to fulfill what is spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Man, or God became man, and he dwelt among us. And salvation will become uh, possible because the woman will give birth to a Savior. And He's going to save us. The Savior's going to save us. How is He going to do that? He's going to have to defeat the serpent. He's going to have to defeat death. He's going to have to defeat sin. And where every other man has failed, man and woman have failed, the Savior will prevail. He'll be sinless. He will overcome in ways we could never hope to. There'd be no hope in us. There is no hope in man. And, and this Savior named Jesus was promised to Joseph it was also promised to Mary through the angel Gabriel. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, the angel said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever." and his kingdom will have no end. Remember last night when we discussed how Jesus had told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this realm. There was another kingdom that he was looking forward to and ruling. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So the Holy Child, the Son of God, He was a promised, he was promised as an offspring of the woman named Mary, the Virgin, as we have so many times heard at Christmas. But what many of us have not looked back at or heard is this same Child was promised long before Mary. Long before Mary. In fact, this seed, this offspring, was promised way back in the garden to Eve. We read it, read it earlier in Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. And, and this promise arrives immediately after sin, immediately after God announced there'd be a curse. He didn't leave them dangling. He gave them hope immediately. And it says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, saying this to the serpent now, between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring, serpent's offspring or seed, and her offspring or seed. Then it gets very specific. He, meaning the woman's offspring, he shall crush you on the head and you will bruise or strike him on the heel. He will crush your head. It will be a fatal blow to the serpent. It will be a non-fatal blow to Christ because he will rise again. He will have his heel struck. The serpent's head will be crushed. This is the promise given to Eve. The woman's seed her offspring will crush Satan's head While Satan will merely bruise or strike Christ's heel, and Christ will rise again. This proclamation is referred to by theologians as the Proto-Evangelium. And that word simply implies that this is the first gospel. This is the good news. The first good news. It comes to mankind immediately after the fall into sin. From this we know that God has promised from the very beginning that there will be a descendant of a woman that will crush the serpent's head and save the people from their sins. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. This is why the genealogy traced back on Mary's side of the family in Luke chapter 3, the woman's side goes all the way back to the garden. All the way back to the first woman. Jesus is that promised remedy And though the first representative of man, Adam, though he failed, Christ as the new representative of man prevailed. The new Adam. Scripture puts it this way in select verses I've chosen. You can find all of these in Romans chapter 5. In reference to Adam, the Bible says, Therefore, just as through one man, that being Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. And nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. It means it just continued on. Death reigned. So, all have sinned. All have transgressed the law. We all know we've transgressed the law of God. And Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. That's what we earn. But that verse doesn't stop there. Again, it brings hope. Just like everywhere in the Scriptures, there's always hope. That verse says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You want hope? There's your hope. God offers eternal life as a free gift. And Romans 5 continues, But the free gift is not like the transgression... For if by the transgression of the one, meaning Adam, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. And for if by the transgression of the one, meaning Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, that's Christ offering Himself on the cross, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous." The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, it says, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. By providing us the lineage of our Savior, Luke is communicating to us that Jesus Christ is the remedy to that curse in the garden, all the way back at the beginning. Genesis 3. And though every one of us you know, has sinned, we deserve death. Christ offers us the hope of eternal life. He offers it as a gift. How would you like to open that gift this Christmas? The gift of eternal life finally offers us hope. Most of you have lived long enough to determine there's not a whole lot of hope in this life. There's a whole lot of bills, there's a whole lot of sickness, a lot of disease, and a lot of death. Not a whole lot of hope in this life. We're eventually going to get sick, we're going to die, and we're going to face the judgment of God. But Christ offers hope through the resurrection of the dead. He suffered our judgment. He took our punishment on the cross so that we could be set free. And in one Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse nineteen, the apostle Paul says, "If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men to be most pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are all who are asleep, meaning those who had already passed away. For since by a man came death." By a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Just have to do one more thing today. Before we leave we, to celebrate, eat some more. I'm sure we're all going to do that. There's a little word here that needs to be qualified. It's a, it's a word, all. The Apostle Paul said, so also in Christ all will be made alive. What he's saying is, all who are in Christ will be made alive. Not all, everyone. All who are in Christ, you must be placed in Christ. That means, in Christ's spiritual body of believers, among the fellowship of the believers. We refer to that as the Church. Capital C. The Church all believers everywhere across the world. You must be in the body of Christ. All in the body of Christ will be saved. And to have et- hope of eternal life, uh, hope of the eternal life with Christ, eternity in heaven, how does that happen? It happens only through placing your faith in Him and your trust in Him. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 says this For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, lest anyone should boast. No one's going to boast before God. You must receive it as a gift. Salvation is a gift offered to you, free of charge this Christmas. Many of you are familiar with John 3.16. You've probably seen it held up in an end zone from time to time, right? Everybody's seen John 16. Probably everybody here is quite familiar with the text itself. You've probably heard it many times as it's been quoted. Too often people don't read verses 17 and 18. John 3, 16, 17, and 18. Let me do that for you this Christmas as I urge you to receive God's gift to you. Salvation through Jesus Christ, through faith. John three sixteen through 18. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You must believe in Jesus Christ or you will face the judgment. God gave his Son. Through a manger, through a virgin, his precious Son he offered all you need to do is receive the gift of salvation through him. He was born into the world that first Christmas morn to save his people from their, si- from their sins. Excuse me. He did that by living a perfect sinless life and then offering himself as a sacrifice uh, for our sins, taking the punishment that we deserve, death on a cross. On a third day, he rose again from the grave and he is now seated at the right hand of, the God, of God. And we are now waiting for his second advent. That's when he comes back again. And in Christ, God offers you the forgiveness of your sins as a gift. Have you received the gift? Have you received it? Will you receive it? What must you do to receive a free gift someone's offered you? Pretty simple. I'll take it. I'll take it. Do you have to pay for it? No. Work for it? No. Swap? No. You don't get it that way. You have to receive it because it's free. That is God's grace. Grace costs you nothing. It costs Jesus everything. To offer you this wonderful gift of salvation is the purpose for which God's Son, Jesus Christ, came. He was born into the world. I can't think of a better reason to celebrate Christmas.